Welcome, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com. You're tuned into Propaganda Watch, that weekly series where we examine the propaganda narratives being perpetuated by the deep state and its media allies. And we also examine that propaganda for not just its message, but also how it is propagated and how it shapes public opinion. And this week, we have an extra special treat. During the course of some of my recent research, I stumbled across an article from the New York Times from December 26th of 1977 titled Worldwide Propaganda Network Built by the CIA. And as you can imagine from that headline, this purports to be a the culmination of months of research by a team of New York Times reporters on a worldwide propaganda network built by the CIA. And if that seems interesting that that's being reported on in the New York Times, I think it is as well. And although, of course, we can self-evidently see this for a limited hangout that covers up as much as it is revealing, but it still reveals some about this propaganda network and the way the CIA's propaganda functions. So I think it is worth going through and highlighting at least some of this material. Uh, the entire article is up on NewYorkTimes.com, but up behind the paywall. But luckily, the Harold Weisberg Archive uh, digital collection at jfk.hood.edu, which I'm sure is a resource that will be familiar to JFK researchers, does have a PDF version of if not the entire series, at least a good portion of it. Unfortunately, the last page seems to be a repeat of the second page, so I think there is some material missing from this reprint, but it does give you a pretty good view of what they're talking about here. You might have referred to it, uh, you might have heard this referred to as the Mighty Wurlitzer or Wisner's Wurlitzer, um, but this goes into some degree of explanation as to what that was and what it consisted of, and it starts with a little... Uh, a little example of some of the information they uncovered, talking about John Kenneth Galbraith, who in 1961 uh, took up a post as American ambassador to India and immediately discovered a rag of ill repute, a horrible political journal that he said was uh, it wasn't even so offensive for its political views as its butchery of the English language, its literary offenses. <laughs> but then he discovered it was a CIA-funded uh, operation, and then he worked with the CIA to get it shut down. At least that's the story that they open with. But then it goes on to detail a little, a little bit more about the scope of this operation that was not just about one political rag in India. It was much deeper than that. It goes on to say, although the CIA has employed dozens of American journalists working abroad, a three-month inquiry by a team of reporters and researchers for the New York Times has determined that, with a few notable exceptions, they were not used by the agency to further its worldwide propaganda campaign. So, of course, right off the bat and right putting it there on the table, oh, don't worry, guys, this wasn't used to further <laughs> the CIA's worldwide propaganda campaign, this network of propagandists that we're about to document. It's a strange thing to put right up in front and center, but I think that is the self-evidently obvious limited hangout in this. But it does go on to then to detail and talk in great uh, in great detail and with a lot of um, uh, supporting facts about this propaganda network. It says, in its persistent efforts to shape world opinion, the CIA has been able to call upon a separate and far more extensive network of newspapers, news services, magazines, publishing houses, broadcasting stations, and other entities over which it has at various times had some control. 
A decade ago, when the agency's communications empire was at its peak, it embraced more than 800 news and public information organizations and individuals. According to one CIA official, they ranged in importance from Radio Free Europe to a third-string guy in Quito who could get something in the local paper. Although the network was known officially as the Propaganda Assets Inventory, to those inside the CIA, it was Wisner's Wurlitzer. Frank G. Wisner, who is now dead, was the first chief of the agency's covert action staff. And then under the subhead, like the mighty Wurlitzer. Almost at the push of a button, or so Mr. Wisner would like to think, the Wurlitzer became the means for orchestrating, in almost any language, anywhere in the world, whatever tune the CIA was in a mood to hear. Much of the Wurlitzer is now dismantled. Wink, wink. Yeah, sure. Disclosures in 1967 of some of the CIA's financial ties to academic, cultural, and publishing organizations resulted in some cutbacks. And more recent disclosures of the agency's employment of American and foreign journalists have led to a phasing out of relationships with many of the individuals and news organizations overseas. Yeah, sure. But then it goes on to say, a smaller network of foreign journalists remains, and some undercover CIA men may still roam the world, disguised as correspondents for obscure trade journals or business newsletters. The CIA's propaganda operation was first headed by Tom Braden, who is now a syndicated columnist. Hmm. Tom Braden, Tom Braden, why does that name ring a bell? I'm not a conspirator. Uh, I think even Buchanan would vouch for that. Uh, but well, you are. Robert, Robert, Robert Wilson. Robert Wilson. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Is that a conspiracy? You, well, you've certainly... Well, it, Let me just tell you what Newsweek says that says this. The John Birch Society considers communism only one arm of a national, of a master conspiracy in which socialist American insiders are plotting to establish world government. Now, it also says, and here's Director John McManus, that's your public relations director, saying that former Secretary of State Alexander Haig and CIA Director William Casey are two of these master conspirators who are plotting to establish world government. Now, what do you say? You know, that kind of silly, asinine statement is what makes makes people laugh at the John Birch Society. Oh, right. That Tom Braden. Well, continuing with the article... And was run for many years by Cordmeyer Jr., a popular campus leader at Yale before he joined the CIA. Wait, Cordmeyer? Who's Cordmeyer? I heard from Frank that uh, LBJ had uh, designated uh, Cordmeyer Jr. to uh, undertake a larger organization while keeping it totally secret. I think that uh, LBJ settled on uh, Meyer as a uh, as an opportunist, parent like himself, a parent, and a man who had very little left to him in life ever since JFK had uh, had taken Cord's wife as one of his uh, mistresses, and of course could not. Uh, number Cord Meyer among uh, JFK's admirers. Quite the contrary. Oh, right. That Cord Meyer, of course. Well, continuing with the article, Mr. Braden said in an interview that he had never really been sure that there was anybody in charge of the operation and that Frank Wisner kind of handled it off the top of his head. Mr. Meyer declined to talk about the operation. 
However, several other former CIA officers said that while the agency was wary of telling its American journalist agents what to write, <laughs> sure, it never hesitated to manipulate the output of its foreign-based assets. Among those were a number of English-language publications read regularly by American correspondents abroad and by reporters, reporters and editors in the United States. Most of these former officers said they had been concerned about, but helpless to avoid, the potential blowback, the possibility that the CIA propaganda filtered through these assets, some of it purposefully misleading or downright false, might be picked up by American reporters overseas and included in their dispatches to the publications at home. Oh no, yes, oh, they, they fretted about it, honest. The thread that linked the CIA and its propaganda assets was money, and the money frequently bought a measure of editorial control after often complete control. In some instances, the CIA simply created a newspaper or news service and paid the bills through a bogus corporation. In other instances, directly or indirectly, the agency supplied capital to an entrepreneur or appeared at the right moment to bail out a financially troubled organization. It gave him something to do, one CIA man said. It's the old business of Parkinson's Law, a question of people flaying too much idle time and too much idle. Hmm. Sorry, I'm reading a, uh, a transcription here that is obviously incorrect. But anyway, uh, too much Id idle time and too much idle money. There were a whole lot of people who were unemployed. According to an agency official, the CIA preferred, where possible, to put its money into an existing organization rather than found one of its own. If a concern is a going concern, the official said, it's a better cover. The important thing is to have an editor or someone else who's re receptive to your copy. End quote. Okay, I'll, I'll leave it there. Obviously, please go and read through the, this article for yourself. There's a lot of interesting little nuggets in there, like the name drops of the Tom Bradens and... Uh, the Cord Myers and other people who we know were CIA assets of various sorts. William F. Buckley Jr. makes an appearance, for example. Surprise, surprise. Ooh, shocking. But actually, some some names that are particularly interesting. Uh, for example, it, it talks about the Princeton, New Jersey concern called the Research Council. Uh, this council, founded by Hadley Cantrell, the late chairman of the Princeton University uh, Psychology Department and his associate Lord Lloyd, Lloyd Free, derived nearly all its income from the CIA in the decade in which it was active. They were considered an asset because we paid them so much money, a former CIA man said. Mr. Free confirmed that he and Dr. Cantrell, an acknowledged pioneer in public opinion polling, had just sort of run the council for, uh, for the CIA the council's activities, Mr. Free said, consisted of extensive public opinion surveys conducted in other countries on questions of interest to the CIA. Some, he said, were conducted inside Eastern Europe, the Soviet bloc. The governments of the countries, Mr. Free said, didn't know anything about the CIA. Nor, apparently, did Rutgers University Press, which published some of the results in a 1967 volume called Patterns of Human Concerns. Uh, and extra points for anyone who remembers uh, Cantrell and uh, his research and his connection to the the invasion from Mars, the uh, the panic over the War of the Worlds, and the Rockefeller-funded study into that panic that was an important part of the psychological experiment that was being played on the public, little did they know, um, which I did talk about in a previous edition of the Corporate Report, link in the show notes if you're interested. Um, another interesting tidbit uh, that this article goes on to state, a former CIA official said that the agency passed up an opportunity to purchase another English language newspaper, the Brussels Times, which was being run by a CIA man, but had no other ties to the agency. 
The official said the agency responded to the offer by saying that it was easier to buy a reporter, which we've done, than to buy a newspaper. Which, actually, probably is about, about right. You don't need to own an entire newspaper and to publish all of its content. You just need to make sure that you have a reporter here, an editor there, who's going to publish what you need published at the time you need it published. And if you have that, then it, you, the, the ownership is actually a hassle, probably, more so than an asset. Um, one other thing that I always wanted to note from here, um, the legislative charter of the Central Intelligence Agency has been interpreted as prohibiting the direct propagandizing of American citizens, according to agency officials and former officials. However, these officials say, no opinion has ever been sought or provided on the legal legality or propriety of the replay in this country of agency propaganda disseminated abroad. So... Yes, back at the time where they at least used to give lip service to the idea, oh, we don't propagandize Americans, we just propagandize people via the foreign controlled assets and newspaper services and broad radio broadcasts and other things that we control and own outright, and we tell them what to publish and what to broadcast, and then they publish and broadcast it, and that propaganda oh, sometimes makes its way back into the United States, but well, what can we do about that? Um which is, of course, nonsense and part of the limited hangout cover of all of this, but still an important part of the way that the propaganda has functioned in the past. And, of course, again, this entire article is framed as in there was this vast, extensive, worldwide propaganda network of hundreds and hundreds of newspapers and publishing houses and radio broadcast stations and all sorts of things that were completely owned and operated by the CIA, but don't worry, guys, it wasn't wasn't being used to push CIA propaganda, <laughs> which is directly contradicted by the rest of the article. <laughs> so, again, clearly, I think there were some... Do you think there were some pressures put on the New York Times not to report all the details here? Do, do you think they even needed those pressures? Or do you think they would willingly comply with them, given that the New York Times has, of course, been extensively wedded to the deep state throughout its uh, publishing history and it certainly was part of the mockingbird operations that were exposed around that time in the late 1970s and of course you can go back to uh, CIA and the media and Carl Bernstein and all those famous reports um, that I have talked about repeatedly in the past but this is just another data point on that trail and does contain some interesting tidbits and some interesting names that I hope um, interested researchers in the crowd whose curiosity has been piqued We'll start diving into and, of course, report any interesting findings back to headquarters. Corporate Report members, as always, encouraged to leave their own findings uh, on this cookie crumb trail in the show notes. Uh, well, I'll leave it there. There are some names in here that did jump out at me and that certainly do seem to be uh, fruitful avenues for further research. But I'll uh, leave that for you to find for yourselves. Um, anyway, I just thought that this was an interesting article that appeared during the course of my research and I wanted to share it with you. Uh, it does give some interesting insights into the worldwide global propaganda network outright owned by the CIA that has been reported on in the past, but certainly they don't do anything like that today, right guys? <laughs> we'll leave it there for today. James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. <laughs>